In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel, which I've already read. Please be seated. Our Gospel reading locates Jesus in Jerusalem in the very first of the Holy Weeks that the Church would mark. In a matter of days, Jesus will institute the most holy supper of his body and blood, and then he will be betrayed into the hands of sinners and crucified. This week, his opponents relentlessly pursue any opportunity they have to trap Jesus. Some are seeking simply to discredit him, while others, in fact, are trying to get rid of him altogether. As part of their trap, they send to Jesus a lawyer, an expert in God's law, to ask him a question. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, Jesus answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He quotes our Old Testament reading and he goes on, This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments are at the heart and center of God's revelation of himself to his people in the Old Testament. In fact, St. Mark, when he records this account in his gospel, he gives us a little bit more from the lawyer to help us understand what's happening. The lawyer actually praises Jesus for his good answer And then he adds on top of that, the lawyer does, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now that's telling us something about the centrality of these two commandments of God, to love him and to love our neighbor. Now, even though we often think, and and rightly so, that the sacrifices in the Old Testament are a huge part of the religious life of Israel, we see with these commandments and the commentary that we get on them, that the far more important matter for God, for his people, is faith. For to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is to believe and trust in God above all things. After all, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Those three words together combine to mean faith. The sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Testament were important, but they were an important fruit of that faith. But when that faith was lacking... God rejected the sacrifices of Israel. The fruit had gone rotten. David says in Psalm 51, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Jesus himself laments this lack of faith among the Jews in his day when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Lack of faith in God, more often than not, then spills over into our relationships with our neighbors. 
Just think of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. This man did not believe God's word, and he did not believe that it had the, the power to save most especially. But the way this revealed itself in the rich man's life was that he failed to help the poor man who was laid out right outside his front door. Now, if you've been paying attention at all, this has been brought into the glaring light of the last few years. The increasing tendency for us to be angry with our neighbors, whether it's over masks or no masks, or vaccinations or no vaccinations, or political affiliations, or however else we decide to divide ourselves up, this increasing tendency to be angry with our neighbor, the ones who are right outside of our front doors, reveals a dysfunctional faith in God among us. St. John writes in his very first epistle, We love because he, God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Lack of love for the neighbor reveals the lack of faith toward God. Repent. Then Jesus turns and he asks a seemingly unrelated question of his own. What about the Christ? Whose son is he? As I said, this may seem rather unrelated. After all, Jesus is pointing the Pharisees to something they should already know, that the Messiah would come from David's line. But Jesus, who is the master teacher of the scripture, and the one by whose spirit the Old Testament was breathed out and given by the pens of the prophets, reveals to them something even greater. David's son is also David's Lord. That is, the Messiah, the Savior of all of mankind, is fully man, descended from King David's line. But he is also fully God, born in this world, begotten of God from all eternity, as we confessed just now in the Nicene Creed. This confession, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, is also at the center of our Christian faith. When we confess once a year the Athanasian Creed, we confess that one cannot be saved unless that man holds that Jesus Christ is the Son of God from the Father and true man born of the Virgin Mary. Our small catechism puts it like this. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten from the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Our salvation hangs on this confession. It depends on this confession. For if Jesus is not true God, his death cannot pay the price that our sins require. Now, it is a noble thing for someone to lay down his life for his neighbor, neighbor but it does not save him from eternal death. I do think that's why we have to be careful in how we use Jesus' words from the Gospel of John. 
when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends, you probably are aware of this, but we often hear this about people who die in the line of duty. Now, whether the death of an officer or a soldier may preserve our life and freedoms, and those things certainly do happen, and we give thanks to God for those who are willing to do that, the shed blood of that officer or that soldier cannot save us. It cannot redeem us from death. And so we must be careful how we use Jesus' words. But additionally, if Jesus is not true man, he cannot die. He cannot shed his blood for us. The book of Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, we've talked about this recently in our Wednesday Bible class. One of the earliest controversies in the church's history was how we confess who Jesus is. Some said that Jesus was not fully God, that he was simply elevated to this status at his baptism. Others say that Jesus wasn't really fully man, and so uh, he kind of took on the, the form of a human body. There was a, there was a big debate that lasted for a, very, a couple of centuries on this topic. But that's not a false teaching that just remained in the past. In fact, there are some groups today that try to pass themselves off as Christians that confess this way. They try to say that they're Christians, but they don't believe that Jesus is really God. Unitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses being among them, they teach that Jesus is not truly God. John writes in his first epistle against that, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All right, so now that we've thoroughly analyzed both questions, what's the greatest law, who is the Christ, what's the connection between the question the Pharisees asked of Jesus and the question that Jesus turns around and asks of the Pharisees. Well, there is only one man who has fulfilled the whole will and law of God. There is only one man who has loved his God with his entire being, with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is only one man who has loved his neighbor as himself, dying for us even while we were yet still sinners. And that man, dear saints, is David's son and David's Lord, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who has come to rescue us from our sins. Jesus had to become a man so that he would be able to fulfill all of God's law for us. In becoming a man, Jesus put himself into our place. He submitted himself to his own law. St. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then earlier in Romans, he writes, for, Adam's, for by Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, my catechism kids will be quick to tell you that we call this the active obedience of Christ, where he does for us what the law requires of us. And then he turns around and he gives the credit to us. But Jesus also had to become man 
that he would pay for the penalty that our sins incurred. St. Peter writes, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or as St. Paul says in one of my favorite Bible passages, for our sake, the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The catechism kids again will be quick to tell you that this is the passive obedience of Jesus where he lets the law do to him what it should do to us. The wages of sin is death. We have, paid, we have made, that, made that wage. We have earned that wage, and yet Christ has paid it for us. And now today, dear saints, this very day, this day that the Lord has made, your Lord Jesus gives you credit for his perfect life, and he gives you the benefit of his all-atoning death in the sacrament of the altar. For it was by his blood, the blood that he poured out for you at the cross, that your sins were forgiven and the sins of the whole world are covered by his blood. All our failures to love God with every fiber of our being and our failures then to turn and to love our neighbors as Christ requires of us are all covered by the blood of Jesus. And in doing this, he has put your death under his feet as he brings your human nature now into the heavenly throne room of God. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.